partnerships in healthcare can bring insights and value to life science companies. They can support healthcare professionals and they can help improve outcomes and experience for patients. But it takes a lot of skill to get them right. In this podcast, we'll look at what it takes to make them work and, crucially, what not to do. I'm Claire Monroe, the Founder and Managing Director of Dovetail Strategies. And this week, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Catherine Williams, Managing Director of MSD Denmark and Iceland. It's great to see you. I was looking at your New Year message on LinkedIn recently, and I really loved some of your reflections on last year and the year ahead. Is this something that you always do at New Year? So I've never been one really to set New Year's resolution. But what I tend to do is have a list of things that I want to do in the forthcoming year. And maybe the posts that you're referring to on LinkedIn that I shared this year was perhaps an evolution of that, having been inspired by the blog that I also shared from Peter Fuder, to perhaps also give some more specific questions both for me personally to reflect on, but also that I thought was helpful because I got so much value from. And I think what I really liked about the blog, Claire, was the way that it forced you to reflect or the questions forced you to reflect on what's gone before, but also what you've learned from that and harry those learnings into the next coming year, 2023 in this instance. And that for me, I guess, is different to what I'd ordinarily done because it was about this year, what do I want to achieve? What are some of those goals? And, and that's great too, to think to have those. But it, I guess, it pushed me into a bit of a deeper level of reflection, which I found super helpful and hence why I put it out there on, on social media for others to reflect on too and hopefully get something from. Yeah, I think that's really nice, actually. I certainly got a lot from it. And I guess what you're describing is because it's there's a couple of things going on. One is it's really embedded in reflecting on our values. And also it, there's a link between what's gone before and therefore what am I carrying forward? It's almost like what am I carrying forward yeah. into the new year, building on what I learned last year. Absolutely. And I think also a point you raised there about continuity and values For me, that doesn't change year after year after year after year. So those values are something that I've become clear on, but actually are probably the consistent from year to year to year. But maybe I've just got clearer about them through experience and as life progresses. Yeah, that's such a great point. So the other thing that struck me in this piece was you were talking about what you learned in 2022 which was the honesty and resilience payoff. And you quote Nelson Mandela saying that everything appears impossible until it is possible. Mm. And I wondered if there was a specific example of that, you know, that was really important and pertinent to you last year, that's mm. almost like a, a guiding light for 2023. Yeah. So the experience, I guess, that I was reflecting on specifically was some challenges with a particular area of our business where one of our purchasers had decided to make quite a significant change in the volume of vaccines in this case that they required. And and that was based upon different forecasts, essentially, that they had made and and re-evaluated. 
And I guess going into that, there's a few things. Firstly, it's how we engage with the customer, in this case, the purchaser, and the value in honest dialogue between the two of us, because it is a partnership. And the only way that we can succeed as a commercial organization, but also with an interest in serving the population of Denmark in this case, is to have that honest dialogue with them. And ultimately, serving the population is the same common goal that we have between us. So I guess, you know, that's not rocket science. It's not something new, but it just really reinforced to me the value of that really honest conversation between suppliers, customers, and how important that is for everyone to succeed and achieve their goals. The second part of it was very much how we manage the situation internally, because of course, you can imagine that created a lot of questions and explanations that were required as to why the situation had occurred. And you know, you can kind of go to, well, there's many ways you can go, but I guess I'm thinking there's two ways you can go with that. You can be completely honest and candid about the situation. And if there are things you've missed, be honest about the things that you've missed. Or you can perhaps try and cover things up a little bit and paint a rosier picture and not tell the entire truth. We chose, whilst as difficult as it was, to go with the former. You know, tell the story, acknowledge that perhaps there were things we had missed along the way, but recognize what we've learned from those. And then pulled together as an internal team around how we were going to resolve it. So that's where the resilience came in. And the reflection for me was very much, you know, it's great when things are going well, but actually when things go wrong, that can be the time when as a team, it's the most important time to pull together. The spirit and the way that people came together showed resilience in what they were seeing as a very difficult situation to resolve really stuck out in my mind as I was reflecting on on last year. And there could have been, you know, referring to the Nelson Mandela quote, a chance that we were thinking this is an impossible situation. We're never going to make this shortfall up that we were having with our revenue. But actually that resilience of the team, that spirit that I spoke to, the tenacity to turn things around with a focus on the patient meant that we were able to change things for the better and get more of our vaccinations to the population and serve in a better way. So I think it was just a real reminder for me that that honesty and that resilience in times that are tough is really important and can make the biggest difference for many people. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great illustration of that paradox that sometimes it's when things are at their toughest that your values are under most pressure. Mm. And when you're honest and authentic enough to hold fast to those values, they often are the way through. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think touching on your point there, the values, if you're sure about those, and not just individual values, but your values as a team as well, and the values with our external partners, that helps everybody, I think, center around what's really important rather than getting clouded by other issues and misjudgment, potentially, in that case. I was reflecting on when we first met, which is probably around 2008, and you were a a fairly new 
brand manager not long in from the field. And I remember working with you at that time, already being very struck by what seemed to me to be a very, a very natural ability to collaborate. And I wondered whether that was something that you thought was a sort of a like a natural talent or whether it was something that you'd worked very hard on at that point. I'm not sure I'd describe it as a natural talent. But <laughs> However, it's something <laughs> that felt normal to me, I guess, if I can describe it that way. And yes, of course, you know, you have to work at these things. However, thank you, firstly, for the compliment. <laughs> um, but I, I guess it comes from perhaps upbringing is a, a part of it when I talk about it felt natural and part of my upbringing parents and surrounded by the loved ones that you know I was with there was always something that was important about respect for other people and understanding their perspectives on things I think that's a really important component of collaboration collaboration can mean different things to different people but in my mind it's about how you show respect for people how you take the time to listen, to understand, go to that other person, walk in their shoes. So rather than demanding as a brand manager that I needed the medic to sign this off by tomorrow because it was the most important thing in the world, <laughs> understand what else is going on in that medic's world and how does this fit with their priorities and perhaps help explain why it felt like it was important to me. So some of those things, I guess, felt quite natural going back to the point of values, I suppose, and, and playing on that. That's so interesting. And that's one of the most important lessons that we can learn as brand managers is to think about <laughs> it from the medic's point of view. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I was that great at that when I was <laughs> I wanted to move us on, Catherine, to a few years ago when you took part in an expert panel that we ran at Dovetail on joint working a few years ago when you were still based in the in the UK. And during that panel, I remember you talking about the importance of human-to-human -human communication when pharma companies are reaching out to healthcare organizations and patient organizations. That it was really important from your point of view to to focus on that human to, mm. to human contact. Tell us a bit more about that and why it's important in a business context. So I think it I guess goes back to what we've been talking about from the perspective of values. And from a business perspective, I see collaboration, I see partnerships as our only way to succeed, given that we have common interests in improving life science, delivering healthcare, bringing innovative products to the populations that we serve, whether that's in the capacity of a clinician, as it was in, in that case, or whether it's in the capacity of private organizations like pharmaceutical companies. And I guess with that commonality in mind, going back to values and understanding the human that you're engaging with, I think is really important because otherwise, as humans, we have a tendency to give people labels. We're tribal by our very nature. Um, that's who we are. That's our history, our legacy. And so I found it very easy for me to put a label on a clinician and have a perception and a stereotype of what they might be. And, and likewise, I've encountered that in return, that I come with your pharmaceutical representative over my head. And, you know, I guess in many senses, 
that brings with it some cynicism about the job that I do. And that's driven me to challenge that stereotype that people have of pharma and what our reason for being in the industry is. Maybe just to touch briefly on that point, you know, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is my value of equity. And I don't believe that it's right that in any country or in any location in any country, it's fair that one individual should have access to either a vaccine or a medicine when someone across the road, because they're in a different postcode perhaps, or across a land border or border in another country, doesn't have that same access. So that's what really makes me motivated to do the job that I do, is that driver of equity for equal access to medicines and vaccines. And that's not a simple challenge (laughs) that comes with many complexities. But I guess getting behind the reason that people do the job they do, understanding what motivates them and why they're in it and what their interests are, I think is crucial for developing trusting relationships. I think that's one thing. And enabling, therefore, that trusted collaboration to deliver on whatever the common goal might be in in a partnership. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I remember we did an exercise of sort of uh, challenging assumptions in each group. We had an industry group and we had a clinical group. Yeah. And as the exercise went on, you could see people realizing, oh, the challenges that those people have got are very similar to the challenges that I've got. You know, and and you know, sort of like stripping the layers away to see underneath. Yeah. We're human beings with the same concerns, similar motivations. And by I guess taking the time and doing it in a respectful way to understand where the other person's coming from. That's how you start to build those foundations for those trusting relationships. It is. And I think one of the sessions, Claire, that stood out in my mind still does from that session was when we were talking about perhaps the frustrations and the common challenges, maybe, you know, again, as human beings, it's all too easy for us to focus on barriers, issues, frustrations. Um, But when it boiled down to it, we all had very similar challenges that we were trying to address. Yet, bureaucracy was one of them that came up in the NHS. Bureaucracy was one of them that came up within pharmaceutical companies. And yet we don't communicate that too well to one another, I don't think. There's a delay here and don't help people, you know, I'm guilty of it myself. I've perhaps not helped people understand why there's a delay. But when you pick behind that superficial headline and talk to somebody as that human being who's feeling things and living things in the same way that you are, I think it just helps break down those barriers that sometimes we can put up between one another. Yeah, it gives you an opportunity to empathise, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, Great and, that, you know, and that can be another way forward. It's um, endlessly fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your move then from the UK, where you had spent most of your career, all of your career, up until moving to Denmark to become the, the managing director of MSD Denmark in 2021. What was the toughest part about that move, Catherine? So there are a number of things <laughs> beyond language and where to go to purchase things from some of the shops. They're the, I guess, trivial things that you know do kind of add up, actually. The small things add up to be large things sometimes. But maybe the toughest 
piece, I think with that driver of respect and that value of respect, which is so pertinent to me, ensuring that I came in being respectful of the culture, knowing that that was going to be different from what I'd been used to having lived in the UK for for all of my life. And I guess what I was worried about, Claire, was getting it wrong and offending people. And so I wanted to ensure that I took the time to really listen and I guess understand, empathize with why things are the way that they are, um, fit in in many respects with the culture here, but also bring some value. And so I guess the tough part was finding the right balance. So still being true to me and who I am as a person and as a new leader coming into an organization who didn't know me, but also balancing that with being respectful to the culture I was now working in and being a part of so that they felt I wasn't perhaps disruptive, but I was enabling them to be the best they could be and had the interests of Denmark in mind, not coming in as who's this UK person <laughs> turning up and you know who does she think she is and what does she know about, about Denmark? So that balance, I guess, of empathy, listening and respecting, getting that right, I think just took some time to feel like I was in a good place. And for me also, you know, I started the role remotely because we were in a COVID period. And as a leader who is quite feeling in their nature and I like to be with people and sense how people are responding, that's so much more difficult when you're doing that through the screen. And so it was hard to get a read back of how am I landing? How is my energy coming across? Am I being respectful in the way that you would expect me to be? And so I had to focus even more on getting feedback, I guess, live because I couldn't sense it in a way that I'd been able to do previously. What did you do in order to get that feedback? Was it just about asking people, how, how am I coming across? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no special trick, I don't think, or secret that I've got. But, you know, being bold enough and brave enough to ask. And you know, I think that's also as a new leader in an organization where you don't know people, that felt quite daunting, actually, to say, how am I coming across? And is this working for you? Give me a steer. So yeah, the simple answer is, to ask, but that perhaps oversimplifies <laughs> how daunting and uh, complex it can be. <laughs> well, I think that the asking is quite simple, but the lead up to the asking, you know, you're making yourself quite vulnerable yes. in that situation as a new leader working remotely. Yeah, you, know, you absolutely a are. Going on. <laughs> there is. And, and, you know, I think the word that you say there about vulnerability, for me, that's such an important part of that human to human interaction is to be able to show vulnerability and in partnerships where things haven't gone as well being able to admit that and be honest enough about that and adult enough to show that it's not going quite as you'd hoped for and moving forward from that and the same in leading new organizations I think for me at least that helps bring uh, build trust when you see that vulnerability in others. Mm, I think that's right Can you give us some insights into a time when a partnership didn't go quite so well and maybe what you learned from that experience? Yeah, so I was working in women's health at the time and uh, we were trying to organise some initiatives to help educate 
women or their contraceptive options. So there was a, I guess the kind of the problem statement was that the only contraceptive option is the pill. And along with patient organisations, opinion leaders who had an interest, so obviously gynae specialists, but also general practitioners who had an interest in this, we were quite keen to come together to support women to say, hey, there are more options available to you. Because the research showed more often than not, if a woman wanted to go on to contraception, you'd walk into the GP and you wouldn't say generally, I want to have a contraceptive. I want to go on the pill because that's certainly in my generation, that's what we were taught to ask for. And so to counter this, we wanted to come together because it was a collective interest that we all had to help educate women about the different contraceptive options that were available to them. I guess it never really got off the ground, (laughs) is the honest truth of it. Um, And I think if I reflect on the reasons why, I don't think we were clear enough from the beginning on our aligned goals and the outcome that we wanted to drive. So yes, we knew we wanted to educate women, but how, through what channels, through what medium, what are the messages that we want to get out there and to what end? So what's the outcome ultimately that we're trying to deliver? I think there was probably a very generic, yeah, that fits with our priorities. Let's get together and see what we can do. But then I guess we got caught in internal bureaucracy and probably because we hadn't clearly aligned on those goals right from the start. And then the second piece was who's going to deliver what? What are our contributions to this partnership from each of the individual parties? So yes, it was within our common interests, but what were the specialisms? And and perhaps one of my personal frustrations in that particular scenario was we were seen as a pharmaceutical provider as the ones just providing the money, essentially. And we wanted to be so much more than that because of the skills, the perspective, the knowledge that we had within the organization. Maybe going back to where I started, we probably didn't make that clear enough from the start that that's what we wanted and we weren't just there to finance it. Um, And so, yeah. It never really developed from there, but I think important lessons in any collaboration that A, it's outlined up front, what's the outcome that you're driving for? You're honest about what you want to get from it and what you can contribute to it so that that commitment is clear from all parties. So it's a really great example. And interestingly, I was in a meeting just this week with a pharmaceutical leader and a very senior clinician. But the leader literally said at one point in the meeting, I'm here to demonstrate that we are not the enemy. And everyone in the meeting relaxed and went, oh, great. So I think you're right. Sometimes we have to be really explicit and upfront, bearing in mind the biases and the assumptions um, to go, you know, to actually be very clear. We want what you want and we want to help you. And here's how we think we can help you. Yeah. And I think you say it beautifully when you talk about biases. We all come with them, don't we? And that's absolutely normal and natural. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should accept those biases. But it's being consciously aware of those biases that we bring to the table, particularly in situations as you just described. And if we see them being brave enough as that pharmaceutical leader to call it out, that's the vulnerability that I think is important in breaking down barriers. Yeah. And it's interesting how important 
what we used to call, maybe when you and I embarked on our careers, people would talk about a bit snottily as soft skills. Yes. Um, it's actually very interesting to see how important and tough these skills are. Absolutely. I do think in industry generally and in a professional setting, what people are looking for in leadership profiles and in good leaders has changed. If I think back to when I started, some of the leaders standing on stage, they look very different to me. Now, I know that the listeners can't see me, so I'm small, petite, female, (laughs) as you can probably hear from the voice. And that wasn't the physique. Um, I'm more introverted than I am extroverted. That wasn't the personality stood in front of me on stage. And it was all about strength of character, strong, bold, charisma, forthright. And I think that has changed, Claire, as you've pointed out there. It's some of those softer skills that actually are now recognized more so as being traits that are well regarded in good leaders. And that's great to see. You've talked about public-private collaboration being crucial to fighting the pandemic. And you've said that it will continue to be so. And you've pointed out, as we've talked about, when we come together with different perspectives and skills and a, a shared goal, we can achieve amazing things. And I completely agree with you. And I think our listeners would be interested to hear what sort of amazing things do you think could and should be the targets of that sort of public-private collaboration? Mm. So I guess the pandemic was a great example of having that common goal and coming together to solve a public health challenge and drive better health outcomes. It shouldn't take a pandemic for that to happen. And so I guess a broad statement is I'd love to see pharma life science organizations, those interested and working in life science or healthcare, come together to solve some of the health system's biggest challenges because they are out there. And I think it is going to take us all coming together, sitting around the table, and I'd love to see more of that happen to solve some of the biggest health challenges that we have. So, you know, if I think about some of the commonalities across different health systems, one, there's definitely inequities in health outcomes because of the way that our health systems perhaps are designed and who they're designed by. So bringing diverse perspectives to the table and including those diverse perspectives in health system design Okay, that feels massive and, you know, but would be an amazing thing if we solved it and reduce the number of inequities in accessing healthcare as a very basic thing. I think there's also, you know, we recognize some of the backlogs that the pandemic has caused in particularly cancer patients, for example, receiving diagnoses. So that shouldn't just be on the health service to solve that issue. I think there are skills that healthcare companies, other private partners can bring to the table in reducing some of those system barriers. But we need to get our collective minds, our collective power behind those challenges in order to to address them. So I guess they might seem quite lofty and, and visionary, but 
I'd love to play a small part in that. And I'd love companies like MSD to be able to be a partner and be a seat at that table to solve some of both public health challenges, as well as drive for better health outcomes by delivering system efficiencies. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it. It's a great goal. And you're absolutely right. The pandemic has given us a model. And just going back to where we started thinking about sort of reflecting on what we've learned and building on those things, bringing them forward. It's a, it's a great opportunity yeah. for industry and healthcare systems to build on that collaboration that was established during yeah. the pandemic. And I guess the pandemic also, you know, if I think about the way that people came together, there was a sense of urgency because of the immediate issue that we were facing. And so it forced us to think differently. So removing those biases, removing that mentality of, well, we tried this before and it didn't work, or we can't do that because the narrative became, we need to do this because we have an immediate issue. How do we make it happen? And for me, that flipping that question is an important reflection point for us all because we have many health challenges, delayed cancer diagnosis being one of them. So I guess the question is not continually reflecting on why we have a problem, but how do we resolve that problem and who do we need to help address it? Mm, absolutely. It's, and in a way, it would be great to have some really positive legacies from the pandemic. It would. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about diversity and inclusion, but I know that it's a topic that's really, really close to your heart. So tell us a little bit more about, again, why that's important from a business point of view, why it's so important to focus on um, diversity and equity and inclusion. So for me, there's a few angles, I guess, to this. Claire. One is, I mean, there's so much evidence that having diverse organisations drives greater efficiencies and ultimately drives the bottom line. Uh, as a commercial organisation, that's within our interests. But I think beyond that evidence, for me, it's also about how those perspectives can help us as individuals learn, how they help us grow as human beings and see things from different angles. So perhaps like we were just talking about with the pandemic example, we came together and flipped the question to say, how do we make this happen? Those diverse perspectives and different points of view are also how we can solve business challenges in a professional capacity as well. And I guess it's important to me because I've seen firsthand how having different points of view because of different experiences, because of different cultural upbringings, because of exposure to all sorts of things that happen to every single one of us in life makes for richer, more vibrant, more creative, more innovative teams. And that's what drives greater business performance. But I guess it's, you mentioned the word inclusion, you know, diversity is one parameter of this. And it's great to have diverse perspectives, but those perspectives and experiences are worthless unless you make the effort to include those perspectives. And I guess that's where, you know, you see all too often organizations saying, well, we're diverse because look, we have a 50-50 split in men and women or ethnicity or whatever it might be. And that's great. 
However, then my question becomes, so what? <laughs> what does that mean for you as an organization? And what does it bring? What value does it bring to the organization? And then beyond the organizational benefit, I guess just going back to that human to human point, we all want to feel included. We all want to feel like we're going to work because we have a purpose and because we're working in a place where we can be ourselves and bring the best of ourselves to that workplace. So beyond the professional business driver for me, it's also about that respect for each other and wanting to create a culture and, and an organization where people feel they can be their best version of themselves and where they feel they can thrive. I think that we are much more aware of it and much better at it, diversity and inclusion, than 20 odd years ago when we were starting out. <laughs> we're not there yet, but no. we're definitely on the way. We are definitely making progress. There's no doubt about that. And I think to your point is because we're more conscious of it as a topic and how we make it live. Maybe the question you know, then for me is, what do I want to see in relation to diversity and inclusion? And I'd want to see a time when we're not talking about diversity and inclusion because yeah. it's just embedded into everything that we do and we're so conscious of it that it becomes a norm rather than a topic to have to talk about. So again, you know, a, a longer term vision, but I guess that's what drives me to play a small part in helping to make that a reality for many. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll raise a glass to that aspiration as well. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so look, we're nearly at the end of our time together. I want to ask you one final question, which is what do you wish you had known when you started out in the industry? <laughs> um, lots of things. There's so much that I've had the fortune to learn in uh, yeah, the time I've worked in this industry. I guess if I boil it down, there's probably a couple of things, both personal and professional. I wish earlier in my career, I had known more about me, which sounds really cliche, I know, but the older I've got, the more certain I've become of who I am as a person and, and as a leader and more confident in my value set. So I wish I could have injected that confidence in the values that I possess much earlier in my career because that probably then from a professional perspective would have made me fight perhaps a lot earlier for the things that I truly believe in. So, for example, one of the topics I talk about a lot, we've just talked about diversity and inclusion, but in a professional capacity is inequity in health. And so if I'd have been more confident in who I was and what I believed in, I perhaps would have been fighting for this a lot longer and a lot sooner. And so that's always the piece I try to impart to people and great talents and people starting out in their career is refining who you are as a person and really taking time to understand it because it's it's tough. It's not easy and you know it's always changing. But the sooner you do that, the easier I think it is to create a platform for yourself, what you believe in, and ultimately create that purpose professionally and personally. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice and I think will be really valuable to our listeners. So thank you for that. And thank you for a really fascinating and enjoyable conversation. It's, it's been a delight talking to you, Catherine. Thank you. 
Thank you, Claire. And likewise, it's always a pleasure talking to you. We've explored some great topics. So thank you for guiding me through that. (laughs) So I hope that you've enjoyed that special bonus episode with Catherine Williams as much as I enjoyed talking to her. We'll be back later in the spring with more great guests. But in the meantime, you can always get in touch with me by emailing hello at dovetailstrategies.com or connecting with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Thank you as always for listening and goodbye for now. Mm